The Start On Demand. On demand. The next phase of reopening in Manitoba could come before June. We'll speak to an epidemiologist about some things to keep in mind. The Arlington Bridge has an active transportation corridor. That's what some people are suggesting, that we repair the Arlington Bridge and make it for use only for pedestrians and cyclists. What do you think of that? And what's your favorite place to go for a walk? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, May 20th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Greg, I'm sitting on my balcony yesterday in Osborne Village and I look out at the tree canopy, which up until yesterday afternoon, as far as I've noticed, was still dead and brown. And then suddenly I realize, hey, it's green. When did that happen? I noticed exactly the same thing about one o'clock yesterday afternoon. I was on the phone with a buddy of mine out west and I said, gee whiz, the backyard has all of a sudden got really green. We're fortunate to have a row of trees across the backyards that back onto one another in our neighborhood. Probably a good run of 20 or 30 trees. Not all of them are budding, but some of them already have leaves on them. So it's interesting that you mentioned that last night because within an hour of each other, we probably noticed exactly the same thing. Yeah, because I was at that when I was at the golf course on Sunday, I was just still looking around at all the, the barren trees and I thought, well, this is going to change probably, hopefully in the next couple of days. And sure enough, bam, lots of green. So that's nice. But Loren, you just made an observation as well uh, regarding how warm it's going to be today. I thought there was a mistake on my app on my phone, so then I went and double-checked on on uh, my laptop, and nope, sure enough, 29 degrees today, 28 tomorrow, uh, 27, sorry, rather, tomorrow, 26 Friday. I can't believe this. I thought this was a mistake. And even yesterday, we, when we were sitting in the backyard and just hanging out with the kids, I couldn't stop remarking about how warm it was, and then we jumped in the car just to go for a drive. And um, pick up some takeout, actually. And then the temperature said 29. And I pulled over because I was like, something's wrong with this car. (laughs) Like, I couldn't believe, I cannot believe these temperatures right now. Not that we don't ever get them. I think you're just, we're just looking for anything that's positive. And to me, that is positive. That is just good news all around. Well, the normal high is 20 degrees. And this does seem unusually warm for May. And normally I would be just celebrating this. But it's, it's with mixed emotions because I mentioned yesterday... The air conditioning situation in my building is a no-go, so I called the office to find out what's going on. Turns out they're installing new chilling towers, and uh, and I said, when's it going to be up and running? And they say, end of day Friday. And I say, are you kidding? So apparently they were. it was supposed to be done last week, but because it was rainy and cold and crappy, they had to wait until this week to do it. So, of course, I move into a building because it has central air, and that when I first need it, I don't have it. It was 28 degrees in my apartment yesterday. Yeah, I fired up the air conditioning in our house yesterday, and, uh, well, it's nice and cool in here. I hate to tell you, if you need a place to sleep, Brad, you can come uh, sleep in my basement uh, the next couple nights and yeah. just do the show for 
from here. Yeah, I might sleep on my balcony because at least with the <laughs> with, at least with the breeze yesterday, it wasn't. I, I could go outside and uh, sort of cool off in the shade in the evening. But uh, yeah, I guess let us know at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight if you're already fired up your air conditioner. Because Loren, uh, I remember there the first year I moved into my last apartment back in twenty fourteen. I didn't even think about needing air conditioner until July. So yeah. to think about it in May is just weird. Oh, no, we have ours on, much to my husband's chagrin, I think, because he tried to make the point a couple of days ago. He's like, the temperature inside the house right now is the same that it is in winter. I was like, yes, but it's not winter. He's like, right, but you're not hot in winter in this temperature. I was like, because it's winter. And he's like, but the temperature is the same. I was like, you can, you, we can dance around this all we want, but that air conditioner is going on. He's like, but the temperature is no different than it was two weeks ago. I was like, except for I feel hot now. So I don't know what you want from me. But turn that AC on. And it's freezing in the basement right now. But, man, it made for a nice sleep. So I'm sorry, Brett. But sleep outside. I've done that before in some apartments. <laughs> Slept on the balcony. I'm, I just might. The one concern I have is, like, if I get up and I'm and I'm completely discombobulated, uh, what, I don't want to, like, trip and and, uh, and take a nosedive over over the balcony. Plus, or think I, I, the plant in the corners of the toilet. Oh, yeah. You've know, got a real situation. <laughs> I don't have a plant out there, but that's that would be... Very funny. Uh, and I used to sleep walk, walk when I was a kid, too. I don't know if I still do that. I know I talk in my sleep. But uh, so th- there would be some slight reluctance to full-blown nap out or f- fall asleep outside. But you know what? The more I think about it, the more I think that might be really nice. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Text message at 204-780-6868 and something we're talking about in our next segment from Kristen, who says Assiniboine Park has some great walking paths and they updated the Terry Fox fitness trail portion so the exercise equipment is a lot safer to use now. And she also adds the portion along the river is especially lovely. Keep an eye out for the Carpenter's Secret Chessboard. So that's worth checking out. Hey, by the way, on the subject of Terry Fox, they're reissuing for the 40th anniversary of the Marathon of Hope. They're reissuing his uh, Orion uh, Adidas shoes. Uh, So that's going to be exclusive to Canada. So that's pretty cool. Um, Also, Loren, what are we doing at 7.07? Well, I don't think I'm alone in in being one of those many Manitobans who, while at home, if you're at home, spending more time like most of us are within our houses or apartments, been cleaning out the closets and the cupboards and filling bags with things that we no longer need and want to donate to thrift stores. Haven't been able to do that for the past few months because those bins have been closed. So have those donation drop-off locations and they're now reopening. So we want to ask Salvation Army, what's that look like? What are some of the changes? How much of an influx of stuff have you seen? Because it feels like everybody has stuff right now. It's not just spring cleaning season. It's been, you know, at home season. And so my bags, I've, I've got to think at least four that I need to drop off right now. It is over 108 years old. It has been used as a movie set many times over. An urban legend says it was originally built to cross the Nile River? Correct, sir. And yes, the story suggested the bridge was built in England, almost like a Meccano or a Lego set to be built over the Nile, but instead was sold to Winnipeg and shipped here. Not true. West End Dumplings curator Christian Cassidy did extensive research on that story, which is indeed urban legend, but it's kind of fun to talk about. The bridge without that story has a long and colorful history, a history which may or may not be 
coming to an end, Loren. Of course, we're talking about the Arlington Bridge, and there have been designs for a replacement structure that are now done. Cost estimates put at, put the replacement of this 108-year-old bridge at over $300 million. And the design, if they were to go ahead with this new bridge, is nowhere near as iconic as the design we see today. But Chris Lawrence of the Manitoba Heavy Construction Association, when he visited with Richard Cloutier and Tristan Field-Jones on the news last night, he suggested that they're importing an idea that has been used elsewhere. It's an alternate alternate use for the bridge, which spans about a half a kilometre across the CP yards. The idea to repurpose Arlington was really something that came to me and others uh, as a result of experience with the High Line in New York, to which you've uh, referenced. And basically, that's an old rail line that's been converted to a bikeway, pedway, there are nooks in its, in its area which are green. You can sit on benches, relax, enjoy the fresh air. And so when the, the cost 350 to $400 million surfaced, and when you consider that Arlington Street dead ends at uh, Notre Dame in the south and Inkster at the, uh, at the north, uh, it occurred to me that perhaps what we ought to do is ensure that when we're looking at options, we also look at repurposing Arlington to something that celebrates our history, indigenous, multicultural, uh, provides an active transportation, provides a, a pedway corridor, but it also takes an opportunity to take, a look, to take a look at what we do have in Winnipeg's northwest, whether it's transportation, recreation, parks, and perhaps re-engineer and reface the northwest of the city to uh, something that it isn't perhaps at the present time. So you could look at, for example, all of the streets that carry uh, transportation north, south, east, west. How do you improve them? We should be looking at parks and recreation in the northwest and see how those might be advantaged. We could be looking at repurposing, for example, Kildonan Golf Course into an extension of Kildonan Park and building paths, uh, both pedway and bikeway, that link Kildonan to, to Birds Hill create a central park much like uh, New York has. This is an opportunity to revisit what we have in the North End uh, and what we could and should have and probably use less monies and get bigger bang for buck in the process. I'm not saying that transportation moving south isn't important. It is, and we need to alleviate congestion. That's a priority. But I'm just a little uh, stunned by the cost for one facility that really has a limited purpose. So the High Line in New York is a spectacular way to walk the lower west side of Manhattan. It's a few stories in the air. If you imagine the way the CN main line goes through downtown Winnipeg, uh, up two or three stories above it all, it's a great way to see the skyline of New York. It's become one of the must-dos when you visit Manhattan. Now, North Kildonan City Councillor Jeff Brawati asks if a vehicular bridge is indeed what citizens need or even want in that location. You've got the McPhillips underpass, you've got the Slaw Rebchuk Bridge at, at Salter, you've got Main Street, and, you know, spending even a portion of that um, uh, on other community-type investments, parks, green spaces, and that for the North End could have a much better social benefit for, for the neighbourhood. Uh, the reports that were out, you know, about the uh, replacement of the Arlington Bridge really emphasised the connections of the neighbourhood. It was more about the social connections across the bridge than it was for the transportation demand that the Arlington Bridge fulfills. I mean, uh, the proposed new bridge is only three lanes. It's not a, a huge traffic facility that's being proposed. I mean, in recent years, we've seen uh, full-blown weekday closures in the middle of September, like, you know, prime time, you know, busy traffic season. 
we've still been able to close it for, for movie filmings, for example, in the middle of September. So it isn't really about vehicle transportation. It's about those social and community um, networks. So the idea of doing something like uh, the High Line, my wife and I got to go to New York last June on a holiday and uh, seems like a million years ago now. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that sort of thing would be fantastic. And I think a, a great amenity for the community. The city councilor who represents the area of the city the bridge serves, Vivian Santo, says that to her knowledge, a replacement structure is what her constituents want. I'm open to hearing feedback from the area. If uh, they feel that they want to create an AT pedestrian um, cycling path versus uh, an actual um, bridge and a street that allows transit and vehicles to go through, then then I'm open for that discussion. And people have been more than willing to provide me with that feedback. And at this time, nobody's provided me with that feedback except for a few people like Chris and, and Councillor Bowati, but not the people there that live there and use that bridge every day and i continually have that discussion with them on an ongoing basis and they've asked for the bridge to be built and that's why i'm continuing to advocate for that bridge to be built it's it's important it served winnipeggers for over 100 years it continues to serve winnipeggers public administration yes continues to maintain it and they will continue to maintain it every year as possible until uh, I can get this bridge, you know, in the books in the capital projects and get it built. So what do you guys so, think? I I think I like the idea. I know what they're talking about, the High Line Bridge in New York. And if you don't, before you weigh in on this, take a look at it. That It's a bridge that spans all, actually a rail yard as well, if I'm correct. And the, the, they've put trees on it. And it's a beautiful way to walk through a neighborhood that you might not have walked before but man you're gonna need some serious buy-in from residents because uh we're still a very much a car driven city uh this is the way we get around so we focus on the cars you're also connecting two different neighborhoods that uh people might not be familiar with and are you going to walk from really truly going to walk and bike from one to another or is the car and bus the way you need to get around but i I think the idea is a has merit to investigate given that $300 million is a huge chunk of change, Brett, to redo the bridge, repurposing it in another way might make more economic sense. Does it make sense in all those other fronts? I don't know. Text message from Tim on this. What's the point in making a 400-meter bridge an active transport route? It's just a distraction from the city taking way too long to do something about the safety of the bridge, and now it will cost $500 million and 10 more studies. It's a dangerous area and would not be on my bike riding route ever. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've been talking a lot over the last couple of days about walking. We just had a chat about the Arlington Bridge maybe being turned into an active transportation zone. And right now we want to talk about your favorite spot to go for a walk. So you can let us know at 204-780-6868. Jeff Fortier is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? Because you live in uh, Charleswood. Is Is the Assiniboine Forest ever on your radar? Uh, actually, well, the park is. My girlfriend and I went for a little walk in the park yesterday at Cinnaboyne Park. Usually for me, though, uh, I just walk whatever within a 15-minute vicinity around my house. I walk away from my house for 15 minutes, and I turn around and walk back, because that's about it. Uh, and there's a really great trail in Charleswood, the Hart Trail, that runs pretty much the length of Charleswood, uh, just on the south side, sort of parallel with Wilkes. But it takes me 15 minutes to get to the trail. So- Uh-oh. And we just lost Jeff. We just, 
<laughs> He's in the forest. He gone. He's over a walk. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was a bit of a delay at first, and it sounds like we've lost him. So we'll see if we can get Jeff reconnected as uh, Jeff continues to work from home, as is Kelly Moore working from home. What about you, Kelly? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, our first go-round in Winnipeg, uh, we live not far from where Jeff is now. And uh, I, I used to love taking the dogs down to the, uh, the field. It was just at the end of Scottsdale. Uh, in, in between, uh, oh, I keep trying to remember the name, Rannick and uh, Wilkes. And there was a great big open field. It's all been uh, subdivided now. Uh, but I, I, I would take the dogs for what I called a bagscape. They'd get out on that field, and in the fall when the deer were there, our chocolate lab would run around in circles because she didn't have a clue which deer she was supposed to be chasing. So she <laughs> just kind of pivoted into the ground. But that, that I just have such fond memories of that. Now living in almost the far uh, opposite corner of the city, uh, I'm just looking out my window right now, and the, the sun's just coming up on the duck pond at uh, George Ogilvy Park. And uh, uh, once tick season is done, I like taking a walk through the park. But for the time being, I just got to take different routes around the neighborhood uh uh, because there's so many different uh, routes you can take. You don't get into that stale, oh, I'm going to do this day after day type of thing. That sounds fun, man. And, that, and a great point on the memories as well. I used to spend a lot of time at Maple Grove Dog Park with my dog, Dexter, until he moved uh, to Scotland with uh, my ex. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had so, we had so much fun just watching him run through there, and it's such a, such a nice little serene spot, particularly along the river. So that's a great one. What about you, Jeff Fortier? I usually just... Uh take walk down like Kildonan Drive uh, there's Fraser's Grove Park runs along the river so it's a beautiful scene but I was just thinking I have not been to Harborview 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 yeah, yeah in, in years that's somewhere, somewhere where I'd like to go back it's uh it's been a beautiful park I, I haven't been there in years yeah and you're not all that far from there that's no. a great idea yeah it's Kilcona a, Park yeah Kilcona Park Harborview yeah yeah okay what about you Loren McNabb well, since we've been at home, I've tried to get the kids out a few times to do, you know, for that change of scenery. So we've been doing a lot of exploring along the Red River because I'm south of, of Winnipeg. And it's fun to go with kids. Just hire a kid because and go with them because everything is exciting. Like, whoa, check out this tree. Check out this piece of dirt. Like, everything is a fascinating uh, turn of events for them. But I also really love, and we've driven in a few times for this, is uh, Bois d'Esprit. Yeah, River Royal Park. Is it Royal Wood? Just off St. Mary's, St. Anne's. Um, there's a great little forest trail that's several kilometers long, and that's where uh, one of the local artists has carved in different faces into the tree. And so it's a bit of a scavenger hunt to go on to find the different carvings, different kind of mask looks. Some of them are animals and owls and whatnot. And it's a super cool little way to get out and explore and see something different. And I, the greatest thing about Winnipeg is that so many of these parks, once you're in them, Man, it's, it takes you, what, 10 steps in, and then you don't hear any city noises. You don't see any buildings. It really feels like you're in the woods. Mackling, what about you? Well, I'm sort of an urbanist, so I like to go downtown. I like the buildings. I like the noise. I like the combination of a little bit of urban-rural. So I like to take the boys. We'll park uh, sometimes in St. Boniface. We'll go set, check out the Basilica and the Belvedere and take a look across the lookout that opened last year. But walk up Taché, go across the Esplanade Riel, and then go through the Forks. They've got an incredible park there for the kids with a splash pad and everything. And then you walk actually 
through the forks across the uh, sort of uh, just south of the museum, north of the forks itself, and you can use the Union Station as a pathway to get from the forks onto Main Street and then go to, uh, I guess it's uh, Upper Fort Gary where they've uh, recreated sort of the fort. They've maintained the gate there and then kind of do a walk back uh, through the forks and around and then back to St. Boniface. So that that's sort of uh, our favorite walk. There's lots of history. You've got the Winnipeg Railroad Museum if you want to throw that in as part of your walk as well. Just some neat things to see in the heart of the city. Dylan saying favorite place to walk is La Barriere Park. Because it's haunted. First of all, the Barrier Park, that's uh, sort of LaSalle, I think. But Mm -hmm. have anybody heard of this, Mm. that it's haunted? No. And actually, because that's sort of my neck of the woods, I've had a lot of friends posting pictures in the last few days of taking their kids there, again, just for that change of scenery. And one of those parks that's nearby that I've never even been to, I'm I'm looking up this haunted business right now. That adds a little twist to the, the old hike. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious about that now. Maybe I'll have to stop there on the, the next time I'm coming back from the golf course. But- Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, just wanted to read a couple of quick text messages here at 204-780-6868. One of the conversations we had this morning is, where is your favorite spot to go for a walk? Barry says, Wellington Crescent is pretty nice with a winding road towards Cinnaboyne Park. I enjoy just walking on Wellington Crescent, sort of from Harrow down to um, the train tracks and back, but that's a great spot. And another text on the subject of the Arlington Bridge, which is a conversation we're going to revisit in our next segment. Uliana saying, removing human activity from an area makes it unsafe. Adding human activity creates a new landscape and reinvents it. If you build it, they will come. This on the subject of the Arlington Bridge. Some are suggesting the city should repair the Arlington Bridge and use it as an active transportation route. Is that a good idea? Let us know what you think at cjob.com. That's our question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. As announced over the weekend... The province of Manitoba is getting behind a project which would see the complete redevelopment of Portage Place Mall. Yeah, the the province is pledging support via the new Manitoba Works Capital Incentive. It will use incremental education property tax rebates to support companies making a significant investment in the province. Businesses looking to establish or expand in Manitoba can use the tax increment financing program if their capital investment in a specific property exceeds $10 million. The program is set to get to work right away. Its first commitment is supporting the nearly $400 million investment in Portage Place Mall by Toronto developer Starlight Investments. So we know the downtown mall is going to be retrofitted with two new 20-story residential towers. There will also be new shopping, office spaces, and a pedestrian-friendly courtyard or what's being described as an indoor walkway. And Starlight, which is, again, the developers behind this project, they're going to receive $28.7 million in rebates spread out over 20 years thanks to this new program that was recently announced. Now, Starlight says that the provincial investment is great, but it's also looking for the city and federal governments to get involved as well. Here is COO of Starlight, Glenn Hirsch. We are in discussions with all levels of government and we continue to work through the details and we work through the logistics. But but one thing is for certain, you know, we want to ensure that this development in, in ensures certain key components 
of community space and to have critical community aspects. To do that, it's going to require participation from both the government and municipal level. So what does this do? This says, look, come on board. Um, ensure that, that you can participate in, in, in allowing us to start providing some of these critical community components. Dr. Gino Distasio is Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg. He joins us now. Good morning, Gino. Good morning. So this development looks like an exciting opportunity to reimagine Portage Avenue, North Portage, Portage Place Mall, a decaying part of our downtown. Why do all three levels of government need to be involved in something like this? Well, remember, all three levels of government have been involved since the beginning of Portage Place back in the uh, late 80s when it was first developed under a different uh, federal program called the Corary Initiative. But again, you know, when development comes to the city on this scale and they're being asked to include sort of community components, public spaces, I think they're always looking for an investment. And, you know, I guess if you're investing $400 million, you're going to try to maximize your, you know, your return. So I'm not surprised. Is it about the asks that have gone into Starlight, you know, you, you know, the courtyard, making sure that we keep aware that there's a need for the vulnerable populations in that community? Is it about the asks that go, have gone into Starlight, Gina, or is this really about the idea that it, it seems like developments like this are impossible without involvement of governments, which, of course, as you know, on the other side will cause other developers to say, hey, if you need that much government support, maybe it's not a good idea in the first place. Is it really about what's being asked of Starlight or that combination of we seem to always have some sort of government support no matter what for downtown? It's interesting. We're at kind of a really pivotal point in Winnipeg's downtown. We, we've kind of moved forward with a lot of private sector-led development, but our history has been really supporting development by subsidized or subsidized development by the by government. This one here is... <laughs> It's a bit trickier. We're in a very difficult time right now. Retail is very fragile. We've got a $400 million investment that's going to include residential and some open spaces. So I can see the point of trying to find a partnership approach to making this deal work. The old model might have been a significant percentage of government funding. Here we're seeing quite a, a smaller amount. I mean, from even from the educational TIF money, we're talking just over a million dollars a year over 20 years. So the investment so far is, is at a scale that's somewhat more reasonable than we've seen in the past. How do we determine which projects are worthy of public investment? Well, I think, you know, in these cases here, the idea has always been Let's work on projects and support projects that are used to leverage development in areas where we want to see some growth. And often we see these kinds of investments in areas that are in decline or or are struggling, and you want to have that centerpiece of a development to help leverage other investment. Portage Place right now, as it sits, has been uh, struggling. You know, there's a lot more vacancies. Retail market has changed. This just might be that uh, jewel kind of a project to, to now seed the missing pieces for the downtown, which have been uh, re- a new imagined retail and additional residential space. So it's, uh, it's going to be really intriguing to see how this ultimately unfolds.
Gino, if you don't mind, we'd like to ask you about another project we were talking about earlier, a long on the radar project in Winnipeg, the replacement of the Arlington Street overpass. And maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't. Chris Lawrence and Jeff Barati on air yesterday, and we replayed that today, suggesting that perhaps an active transportation corridor versus a vehicular crossing would be a better idea and use of a bulk of the money earmarked for that project for social community initiatives and more parks active transportation in the broader neighborhood the local councillor says that uh, her constituents want a bridge is there an opportunity to um, look at those traditional wants and needs in our city and, and maybe re-envision uh, use of, of, of parks, of bridges, that sort of thing, to, to create a, a different vision of what Winnipeg is? Well, we've had lots of different ideas over the years about how to reimagine bridges, you know, from people wanting to put condos and restaurants to, in fact, people wanting to have tax-free zones on bridges. But bridges connect different precincts of our city, and, and they're critically important, especially to cross the, the track. So having an active transportation link across the track is very important. But you also have to have vehicle movement to really get the flow of activity to make sure you have that intensity in the area. If you Maybe in, in some cases, if you get rid of vehicles at this point, and I'm talking vehicles including transit buses, Sometimes you can do a bit more harm than good in terms of uh, creating less eyes on the street. You, you mentioned, you know, do you know about this idea that we're at a crossroads? So with the idea like this active transportation over the bridge, which is which is so in the conceptual phase, but it's an, it's an idea that's out there with the redevelopment of Portage Place. All these things are, are about moving forward and looking ahead. And I know there's been some concerns in the development community and elsewhere that because of this pandemic, we'll have to put so many things on hold, which might force us to take a step back. How do we, in these you know, tough economic times, try to still keep that vision part for our city with, with, with the balance of our bottom line, given how hard things are right now for so many? Well, what's, what's interesting about Winnipeg is, for good or bad, we're actually a tremendous case study for how a slow-growth, declining city can still manage to push development forward. For Winnipeg, from 1980 till the early 2000s, we were probably one of the only cities in Canada that was continually seeing significant investment by all levels of government just because we had to. So if there's one thing Winnipeg has is its, it's experience in uh, periods of significant decline, especially for community groups and organizations. I think there's a lot to be learned from our past as we move forward on how do you balance investment of government into private sector projects? How do we stimulate or, or leverage projects like Starlight or even the Arlington Bridge. And I think the key to Arlington Bridge in particular is really listening to the community and the residents on both sides of the bridge to make sure that you meet the needs of, uh, of local residents along with other folks that come through the area, including me, who uh, I always enjoy a, a ride over the bridge. So, Gino D'Estasio, Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Gino, thank you for this. Thank you all. We want to continue the conversation on the Arlington Bridge and this notion that maybe we should turn it into an active transportation route. And Greg, getting all kinds of feedback at 204-780-6868.
Yeah, thoughtful feedback too, which is what we love. I, uh, Kat says, and she lives in Gindley now, I, I used to live in the North End 30 plus years ago. And even then I felt that Selkirk Avenue was an opportunity missed. The section of West Salter used to be a vibrant meeting of many ethnicities, pardon me, packed with small neighborhood businesses. Sadly, it has been in decline for many decades. It could and should become a community again with the right inputs. I think that's a, a great vision, great thought, Kat. Thanks for sharing that. The, the thing with Selkirk Avenue is there's been so many efforts over the years to try to revitalize it, and she's not wrong. I mean, you talk to anybody who's lived in that neighborhood and who knows it and loves it. Selkirk Avenue is a big part of, about that, and so there's there's some advantage to thinking about connecting more people to it by walking and having an active transportation route that would bring you to Selkirk Avenue. And, and then on the flip side, though, you have uh, listeners writing in to saying, wouldn't the amount of traffic be an impact? On small businesses, if you reduce the amount of cars, then you have less people going by. And so the question really is, are the people who are using Arlington Bridge just driving through a neighborhood or making the neighborhood a destination? Because a, because a walk through a neighborhood or a bike through a neighborhood, in my mind, is a better way to get people to stop and shop than those who are probably just passing by. Yeah, that text from Rui. Thank you for that, Rui, and good morning to you, sir. Haven't heard from Rui in a while. CJ, did you read CJ's text, Greg? I took took a phone call a a second ago that kind of distracted me. No, I read read Kat's text. Feel free to read uh, CJ's. Okay. In terms of safety, CJ writes, community safety, I would never... Never walk over Arlington Bridge. And I've been through Vancouver, and forgive me, uh, I'm not I'm unfamiliar with this, Greg, or Loren, maybe you do. Am I saying it correctly to say Vancouver DTES? Is yeah, that... the downtown east side. Okay, thank you. Uh, Vancouver, downtown east side, and some sketchy places. A long, desolate bridge is not a community space. Uh, and I was kind of wondering, like, I, I guess I like the idea sort of in theory of it being active and certainly just if you want to like ride your bike up the Arlington Bridge you'd get a great mm-hmm. workout mm-hmm. but uh, it kind of feels like like the escalator to, to nowhere uh, from the Simpsons like you know on one where, where would this I don't know I just feel like it wouldn't take you anywhere it doesn't seem to be a part of a of a of a, a good solid active transportation route because to get there would be weird and then to get off of that would be weird as you carry on Greg, you know, you know, Esplanade Riel is a great uh, example of you're connecting one thing with the other, right? The, the historical St. Boniface community with the fork. So there, there's something to see and do potentially on either side of that bridge. Uh, with all due respect to the neighborhood, you're, I think you're right, Brad. It's sort of an island within itself. I, I, I understand some of the concepts uh, with regard to trying to, to drive maybe some different sort of development, but isn't really at the end of the day the best move and the best concept here. And let's just take dollars. If we're going to dream here, why aren't we talking once again about relocating those rail yards? Because that's the ultimate solution to the problems that we see in this initiative is that there's really nothing there for people to go to. You need a draw for people from other parts of the cities to, city to go. And even people that live in that neighborhood, how comfortable do they feel at present time walking across that bridge, whether there's cars there or not? It might be a worse situation, as some people have pointed out, Laurent. 
and you go over east a little towards uh, Higgins and Maine, and, and that rail line is this defining line that sets a boundary that we, which we don't want and we want to shed. We don't want to have it to be that line where you cross and say, well, now I'm in the north end or, or now I'm in this part of the neighborhood that has all these negative connotations to it. You roof the rail yard, you open up opportunities. I just, I think that now when we're talking about the amount of money that would cost to replace that bridge and or turn it into something else, there's still going to be money attached to turning it into an active transportation route should that idea ever get off the ground. There's still going to be dollars attached to this. And so why are we now not looking seriously about the rail yard question? I don't want to be here 20 years from now saying, are we ever going to study the rail yards? Like it's either we we commit to doing that and putting that money in about relocation or we move on. Let us know at cjob.com. The question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Some people are suggesting the city should repair the Arlington Bridge and use it as an active transportation route. Good idea. So far at cjob.com, 43% say no way. 43% say maybe. Would have to see the plans first. 14% say yeah. You can also cast your vote on Twitter at 680CJOB. Manitoba's top doctor is eyeing the next phase of reopening and with only one new COVID-19 case reported in the last week, could happen sooner than expected. Yeah, that single case was found in an employee who had been working at the Southdale Walmart May 9th. While health officials have said the employee was unlikely to have had any contact with customers, they are asking anyone who may be experiencing symptoms who was also at the store that day between 4 and 9 p.m., go get tested. As we've been sharing for the past several days now, testing is now open to anyone. And another thing that we've been talking about is the fact that the number of active cases is dropping. Right now, just 26 active cases in Manitoba. And that's one of the key numbers health officials are watching when considering this next phase of reopening. It was tentatively scheduled for early June. And all of this, of course, is tentative. But Dr. Rusin says the way things are going right now, quote, we will probably be ahead of schedule in some loosening of restrictions. So more details are coming later this week, but right now we want to talk about what needs to happen before we move into phase two in that slow reopening of our economy and what we need to watch for. Cynthia Carr is an epidemiologist with Epi Research and joins us now. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're out of the city right now, so we appreciate the access and and wanted to ask you... um, when you're looking at the number of active cases and the fact that they're dropping, why is that so key to monitor? Well, it really shows that we um, must be getting control of the transmission, um, and that's what we want is a high level of control of the transmission of that virus so that we see that the, the risk to reopening and to the public is as low as it can possibly get. So we want to continue to track that. As you've said, there's been just one case in the last six days. Um, remember, the incubation period for this virus is sort of 10 to 14 days. So ideally, we want to see at least 10 to 14 days of no cases at all. Uh, and then we'll feel like we've kind of gotten through one incubation period, possibly, uh, and then into a second um, time frame. So really, it's watching the level of control we have in the transmission so that we feel more confident um, in reopening. Phase two could allow for shops like nail salons to reopen, some dine-in services and non-contact sports. But right now, the reopening of gyms is not part of the next phase. What's the concern there? Right. So there's no evidence um, that uh, the virus is transmitted through the sweat. 
Um, and it's really interesting because there's been some observational research in gyms where watching what clients in gyms do and what we tend to do is when we're, you know, on, on something where we're sweating a lot, whether it's a stair climber or something, we're really good about spraying that down and wiping it off but it's actually not the sweat that where it's transmitted what people aren't good at doing is wiping off consistently the weights and evidence shows that uh, the virus can last up to two days on stainless steel for example but think about all of the pieces you change the amount of the weight there's the bar there's a lot of wiping and cleaning to be done so that's actually where the more risk is is close proximity if you're in classes together uh, and a lot of those classes or an hour, but also it's the cleanliness of certain key areas, including people touching weights. That's where risk can be. Cynthia, I was under the belief, the impression that once we reopen the economy, that without question, numbers would go up, the number of diagnosed cases would go up. We're not seeing that. I know uh, we're in, uh, you know, really in terms of the numbers two weeks out from the first phase of reopening, but numbers are not going up dramatically. So is it necessarily the case that we will see numbers go out here? Could the virus have died out in Manitoba? It, it absolutely could be dying out just like, you know, influenza does in a typical flu season, uh, just like many viruses do um, kind of ease off as seasons change. We know that we're increasing testing capacity. And as you say, we're really not finding new cases. We're kind of under 1%, I think, of our testing um, being positive. So, uh, again, we need to remember from places like Saskatchewan that was doing really well, one case in one community can quickly spread exponentially, but it can also exponentially decline, uh, which is what we're seeing right now. So it's not necessarily the case that we're going to find more. The fear was there, um, but we're watching the data. And as Dr. Rusin said, the response is proportional to the level of risk in the community. And we're definitely seeing that go down, which is why he's saying he feels that maybe even things could start opening a little bit earlier. And with the changes that we've seen coming, we mentioned the fact that we're now testing is now open to everyone. And that's seen anywhere mm-hmm. from 800 to over a thousand Manitobans go test, get tests every day, you know, because they're feeling like they need to. Is that enough mm-hmm. when we look at the testing numbers, Cynthia? What's interesting about that is that is that now people could self-identify uh, and go in for testing. And that will actually give us a, a better sense of, of the sort of, possible prevalence, which is the amount of the virus in the population. So that will actually give us more um, knowledge. So even if it's not 5,000 tests a day, it's a great combination of availability and availability to more of a mixed group of people, which will give us more information about what really is the rate of that in the population of the virus in the population. Cynthia Carr is our guest. She is an epidemiologist with Epi Research, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Cynthia, thank you. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.